Future trading involves risk and is not suitable for all investors. Content provided in this segment is meant for educational purposes and is not a solicitation to buy or sell commodities. Hello, and welcome to Parlor to Plate, a weekly podcast from Everag Insights dedicated to offering listeners enlightening discussion and actionable intelligence about dairy markets. I'm your host, Erica Medke. If you've not heard this podcast before, join the club. It's relatively new to the Everag Insights lineup, and we're excited to have you along for the ride. If you like what you hear, please like us, subscribe, and tell a friend or two. First things first, let's timestamp the episode. It's Wednesday, April 5th, around 1.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. Here's a quick rundown of the markets. It's been a down week for all of the dairy commodities. Today, CME Block Cheddar landing at a 181. We're down 12 cents since our last recording. Barrels at 175, dropping 16 cents. Whey slipped to 41 cents, down three and a half cents. Butter, 232, down eight cents. And finally, nonfat dry milk at 113, down two cents on the week. Nearby grains, corn is trading at 652, down a penny. And soybeans at 1511, down six and a half on the day. Today, we are lucky to have another all-star cast. Today, from around the state of Wisconsin. All right, cheeseheads, we've got Mike North, president of the producer division and our cleanup man, Matt Trannell, broker agent, and Katie Burgess, director of risk management. So typically we like to start our show with what's the buzz, what's going on in everyone's world. So Mike, last week, some really big grain reports out of USDA, both hitting Friday morning. I thought I should have been watching the corn-soybeans ratio. Apparently I should have been watching cotton. Can you enlighten us a little on what's going on in the grain space? So the report that you're referring to is the prospective plantings report. It comes out at the end of March every year, and it's the first official guess on what will be planted. Of course, we update that again in June to say what was planted in the acreage report that comes out on June 30th. But this is our first stroke at what is going to go in the field this spring. And obviously, we go through the winter talking about, you know, where, who's winning the war, corn or soybeans, and it's just all, all uh, uh, hands on deck uh, battle over those marginal acres, and USDA came back out and said, hey, we're going to plant 92 million acres of, co- of corn, and we're going to plant 87.5 million acres of soybeans, and that, you know, that varied from the uh, estimates ever so slightly. We were off just north of uh, a million bushels, uh, or excuse me, a million acres from where the, the estimate was. Uh, those estimates come in from private parties. And then soybeans uh, at 87.5 was about three quarters of a million shy of some of those same guesses. So the buzz that day was more corn, less beans. And we saw beans explode to the upside, which carried corn, even though it should have had a negative impact. Uh, we saw the, the market carry corn on the on the backs of beans. So lots of buzz around that. And then of course, we had a quarterly stocks report, too, which was a little bit closer to people's guesses. And as we think about the upcoming planning season, how's the weather looking? Well, honestly, you know, in the weeks leading up to this one, there was a lot of talk about wet, wet, wet. And we're going to have planting delays that, you know, essentially take away from even that core number they gave us last week. But now the forecasts are shifting the other direction and starting to show a little bit of a drier outlook. And so you've watched as uh, that has start to, started to bring a little bit of a, a negative sentiment into the market. Essentially, what they're telling us is we're going to have a 
fairly normal spring and we're going to get the crop in the ground if everything goes according to plan right now. And with the way that dormancy is breaking on wheat and with the moisture that's been moving through the Midwest and the kind of temperatures we have, there shouldn't be a lot of cause for uh, delays. And as you monitor that drought map, we're also seeing enough relief there to maybe even give some hope that we're going to be able to carry this crop post-planting into uh, development without any hindrances there either. I can say from Green Bay perspective, it's pretty exciting to see grass and not white snow. That's <laughs> the same here in Platteville, and we celebrate those moments. Matt, shifting gears to your plate, what's the buzz? We've seen a lot of movement in dairy prices over April and May. Like I said, dairy markets are down today pretty significantly. What does that mean in your world? Yeah, honestly, volatility has been uh, the buzz in the dairy space. And specifically, like you had mentioned, it is in the March, or sorry, it is in the April and the May type contracts. The second half of the year really hasn't done a whole lot. A lot of people are wondering what the heck's going on. We watched the April contract bottom out at 1737 and go as high as $20.05. We've watched uh, the May contract go up buck seventy hundred weight, and here we sit nine sessions after. Really, we had a serious bid in the market, and we've retraced fifty percent of the move. So a lot of that has to do with the previous move that transpired. Barrel cheese uh, dropped as far as a dollar fifty three. A lot of folks felt that maybe we had overdone the move on the way down, and there's a lot of transactions that did take effect when we did uh, make that move, and so. Once we found a buyer of cheese, there wasn't enough cheese on the market to really fulfill their, their appetite. And so ultimately, we had a 30 cent move higher in the block market, a 43 cent higher bid in the barrel market. And as of last week, that bid was no longer there. Uh, bids are starting to kind of pop back up in that $1.70, $1.80 zone, which has essentially brought back 50% of the move. Another piece to that also is the commitment of traders report. Managed money during that time frame essentially reduced their positions from a net short position of 3,500 contracts. As of last week, they were down to 730 contracts. That only uh, helped the volatility of the market. Great. Thanks, Matt. Katie, as we shift gears and kind of look internationally here, there's been a lot of news in the international front this week. We had a global dairy trade event. Again, big down day. Trade data came out today. What are you seeing there? You're right, Erica. As we've been watching the new international data drop this week, there have been some surprises. Yesterday, not only was the global dairy trade auction down, but it was somewhat, it was down beyond expectations. And the auction index uh, summarized for all the products the lowest level since 2020. So still a sign that in the international market, there's plenty of supply out there and demand has just not been keeping up. So we've been seeing prices move lower. Today, we got new trade data out here on Wednesday morning. And to me, it was pretty interesting. We saw both cheese and non-fat dry milk exports during the month of February were down ever so slightly compared to year ago levels. But the thing that popped out to me was that for cheese, exports to Mexico were up 11%. Whereas when we look at exports to other places, particularly Asia, they were down. And similarly for nonfat, we saw sales to Mexico of nonfat dry milk of 43%. But when we look at sales to places like China and the Philippines, they were down year over year. So for nonfat, 56% of our exports uh, went to Mexico in the month of February. That was the highest share of exports going to Mexico since 2019. And I think it just speaks to the importance of our relationship with our southern neighbor, 
Whereas when we look at some of the other customers that U.S. does sell to, we are facing more competition when it came to places like New Zealand and Europe, uh, which resulted in lower exports to those parts of the world. And so when we think about what all of this means for prices here in the U.S., I think it's a sign that, you know, we, we're really depending on Mexico uh, to keep volume moving internationally. Uh, we are facing headwinds in those other spots. But if demand is down a little bit in light of plenty of supply here at home, that is probably one of the reasons we've seen prices under pressure as of recently. Thanks for the international look, Katie. And just to put it in perspective, as we shift to the center of the plate, U.S. exports as a percent of total milk output, the peak was 2021 when it was just under 13 percent. Right now, 2023, with this data through February, is down closer to 12 percent. So as we think about what that means for producers, clearly the international market means a lot. If the international market is weakening, prices in the U.S. are coming down, what does that mean for producer profitability? Matt, do you have some initial thoughts there? Yeah, I guess in regards to uh, producer profitability, or as uh, a lot of my customers and and leads would tell me, uh, lack thereof, it remains a very popular topic. And last week I was in the uh, state of Colorado, and uh, it was no different on that discussion. A lot of break-evens in Colorado were in that $21 to $22 type numbers. Our in-house production models, cost production models would point towards California still being around $23, 100 weight, Idaho and New York kind of in that 21 area, and Wisconsin just north of 19. Uh, we do anticipate, based on our model, that April will be the lowest cost production month that we've seen actually since last February. And uh, that's under the assumption that feed is bottom spot market, as we've seen soybean meal and corn kind of retrace a bit. Uh, I think one of the markets that's kind of interesting to watch here recently in regards to cost production, maybe it's not one of your bigger costs, but uh, it's a decent market. Uh, Since the beginning of the year, we've actually seen diesel markets fall back 75 cents a gallon. And when you look at the stocks of diesel, they're kind of in that comfortable area. A lot of times you're looking for somewhere between 100 million barrels of diesel and 150 million barrels of diesel. Today, EIA came out and their numbers are right in that 116 million area. So that's really pressured the market. The other thing that's kind of pressured markets there is Russia is now exporting a record amount of diesel to the Middle Eastern countries. And we also had a really big announcement actually come up on Sunday which came out of OPEC plus. So it's a lot of your Middle Eastern countries plus the country of Russia. They are looking at backing off production by 1.16 million barrels a day, which likely puts quite a bit of support underneath the diesel market and very likely a market that dairy producers want to look a little bit more closely at. Speaking of cost of production, Mike, with the grains coming in, I mean, do we have a sense of where prices are going to be? And given where Ukraine is still challenged to put out a crop this year, where do we think the outlook's going to be? Well, framing it up on my earlier comments, if we get the acres and if we get a normal growing season, we expect balance sheets domestically to grow. And, and basically, you have to look at a few things to be able to round out those comments. The last few years, we have not had a trend line corn yield. And historically, that's something we achieve most every year. What if we can actually achieve a trend line yield? That would be about 182 bushels of corn this year. You know, that would put us out 
you know, nine bushels over where we were this last year, or excuse me, seven bushels over where we were this last year, that would go a long way to rebuilding the balance sheet. If we don't get that, obviously we can't achieve that. But if we walk into this year expecting kind of what I'll call normal growth environments, normal, a normal production season, that helps rebuild our balance sheet, especially in the wake of floundering exports, the potential of a uh, recession to retract some consumer behavior, and uh, on the heels of that, a, a smaller beef herd, a smaller uh, hog herd, a, a, a smaller poultry flock, potentially small, smaller dairy herd if prices you know, continue to ling linger in what I'll call mediocrity. You know, all of these things uh, potentially impact demand in a way that if we lay it against normal production, we grow our balance sheet, hence lower prices. So we can build a case for a lower market as we work our way towards fall, but we still have to grow a crop. And it's got to come through a normal growing condition to be able to say all the things I just said. So if we, if we compromise it in any capacity, that changes the picture. Because remember, today, we only are talking about a 1.2 billion bushel balance sheet, which is relatively thin. So if we compromise this next year's crop, we don't get to grow it, and we're already at pretty low levels. So we could cause a spike in the market just as fast as we you know, kind of hope for, for the dairymen to see so, some lower prices. Soybeans aren't that different in the discussion. A lot of the same things apply from what I just said. Obviously, there uh, we're going to have to also be watching what goes on in South America as we enter uh, that late summer, early fall period as they prepare for their next big crop. So I would say under normal conditions, look for a lower market as we head towards fall. But there's a lot of things that need to be done and done well to be able to effectively check that box. Katie, early in my career, I learned that money makes milk. And if producers right now, from a profitability perspective, aren't in the greatest spot, what does that mean for our outlook for milk supplies? You're right, Erica. It takes money to make milk. I will say, though, even though a lot of folks today aren't particularly excited about where margins are, they are feeling a lot better than maybe a month ago at this time when feed prices were still high and milk prices were quite a bit lower. So. As Matt talked about, we've seen a lot of volatility in class three prices over the past month or so. But as we look at what does it all mean, I would say the fact that milk prices are up off the lows that we saw a month ago at this point. Uh, we are expecting milk production right now to average about seven tenths of a percent growth for 2023 as a whole. So that is an improvement in our milk production model compared to earlier this year when we were expecting less than half a percent. Notably, the fact that milk prices have improved suggests in our model that we won't see any negative numbers this year. So it, right now, I think there's still a lot of unknowns, as Mike pointed to around the grain markets, as Matt pointed to with all the volatility. But we're looking for potentially slower growth, especially as we get to the third quarter. We could expect to see lower milk production numbers than the past few months. But overall, right now, it looks like prices are are at a place where we can keep milk production positive for the entire year. Great discussion, folks. So let's move into our wrap-up. And I'd like to ask, Mike, what are you doing to help your clients these days? So I think it's important as we look at this through the lens of buying feed to recognize that we have an old crop, which is still relatively in tight supply, 
and the hope of a new crop that will grow that supply and lower prices. So I would say in the near term, we need to be smart about any of these breaks in the market and let basis dictate if you're going to come at that with any form of a physical contract or if you're better to just manage that price using the CME and cast some umbrellas over this with, with call options or what, or what have you. Uh, but with new crop inventories and you know, looking further out into the fall, very much looking at call options and CME strategies to, to try to recognize the opportunity that comes in you know, what is today 560 corn, which for, for the listeners here represents what I'll call break-even prices for crop growers in the Midwest. Um, this is a price to really be attending to. But while we're still hoping for lower prices, we want to maintain some flexibility into that harvest window to hopefully capture even lower prices still. So uh, CME strategies that give me flexibility to see downside price pressure on these corn and soybean markets. And so uh, that's the approach that we're taking. You know, it's, it's one where we still hope for lower prices, but acknowledge the fact that we've got to do a lot of things right from a production standpoint this year in order to get there. And if it doesn't go that way, that prices still could go back higher. Just good, solid risk management. Good, solid risk management. Thanks, Mike. Matt, what are you doing to help dairy producers these days? Yeah, so I think it kind of depends on what part of the year you're looking at. So in Q2 of 2023, we're doing a lot of strategies in regards to managing equity that is built up in any particular hedge, whether that's from a long time ago or whether that's from a most recent position that was put on on this latest run higher. Uh, that's kind of what we're looking at there. If we get any additional uh, moves higher in the market, we'll look at using the CME to kind of maybe spruce up those hedges that we already have in at, at a lower level. On the second half of the year, we're continuing to add layers when opportunity comes, when the market does push higher. We're doing small layers, we're not getting uh, way out there by any means just yet, but uh, still making sure that we take action when opportunity presents itself so that we're not becoming complacent. Uh, we're also talking to dairies in regards to some of the other markets. Uh, like I mentioned, the diesel market might be one to take a look at. We're looking at the feed market after this, this break. And then we're also looking at the cattle market. The cattle market has been very, very strong and is now rivaling, rivaling the 2014 highs there might be some opportunities to not only get rid of some low enders uh, to sell full cows, but also to hedge maybe some of your future cold cows on the board as we get up against some of these uh, these levels. So kind of a mixture of everything. Thanks, Matt. And Katie, how about you? What's keeping you busy? For buyers, right now we're watching this volatility and looking for opportunities to layer in buy side coverage when appropriate. So as the markets have come lower, as Erica alluded to in the beginning of the show, uh, people are using this as an opportunity to layer in coverage. Right now, non-fat dry milk futures are year-to-date lows. So that's looking like good value from a buy side perspective. The butter market also making new year-to-date lows right now. And so buyers are looking at these prices and taking advantage of locking in some prices at lower levels than we've seen in a while. A big thank you to Mike, Matt, and Katie for joining me today. Great contributions to the buzz and to the center of the plate. I appreciate you being here and sharing your insights with me and our listeners. Thank you as always to our media team for mixing and mastering Paige's great job. Thank you to the listeners for joining us today. 
Again, if you like what you hear, subscribe to us on your favorite app. And if you'd like to learn more about how we help people manage risk, contact us at insights at ever.ag.